Welcome to the Fairview Church Podcast. At Fairview Church, we are dedicated to reaching our neighbors with the true freedom found in full surrender to Christ. To find out more about our church, including service times, location, and current sermon series, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org. Good morning, Fairview. This morning we're looking at Luke 18, 9 through 14. Luke tells us in verse 9, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. You know, whenever someone asks me about quality teaching, two teachers come to mind. One terrible and one terrific. The terrible teacher was only focused on basically downloading the information from his brain into ours. You know, like basically it's like if you could just get the textbook memorized and if you could just uh, recite the right answer or give off some sort of rote response whenever you're going to be taking the test, uh, that's how you get a good grade. And so that's what we did. You know, the, the, it basically was just about transferring information from one brain to the other, making sure that you were able to pass the test and pass the, the, the exam. The terrific teacher, on the other hand, was much more focused in helping us really understand what it is that we were doing. So he would tell stories, he would give examples, he would make analogies, he would engage us in thought experiments, would create some debate and discussion going on. And you know what's interesting is the the, the terrific teacher did a whole lot of the same stuff that the terrible teacher did as far as like when it came to like giving us the information we needed. But the way that it was given was, was in a way that was meant to illustrate the truth to really get deep down into our understanding rather than just keeping everything on a super superficial level so that we could we could pass the test you know the best teachers do way more than just give you knowledge in the in the abstract they want to make sure you understand what is being discussed and that's why good teachers, if you know the best teachers that you probably remember, they, they cared about you, they gave good stories, they gave examples, they drew pictures, whatever it took in order for you to make sure that you got it, right? That it wasn't just reciting a definition or an answer for an exam, but that you really understood the concept. You know, one of the defining doctrines of the Christian faith is what we call justification by faith alone. This is the the teaching that we are declared righteous before God through our faith in Jesus Christ and his work. It's not our own efforts. And I'm going to give you a textbook definition of this, okay? Uh, Justification refers to the moment when a person is objectively declared righteous before God based on the righteousness of Christ's atoning death. 
And this act of declaration takes place through faith in Christ, not as a result of human works or effort. Through justification, a person is made to be in right standing before God, resulting in what was once an estranged and hostile relationship to one of adoption into the family of God. Okay, that is a simple, more theological, slightly academic textbook answer of what it is that we mean when we talk about justification by faith alone. It's what we see, it's a summary of what we see in the the letters of the Apostle Paul and the Apostles in the New Testament. And there's even a way that you can trace back this understanding, this truth, back into Jesus's ministry. Jesus doesn't teach it in words like this, but he does, if not explain it, he shows it by way of analogy. And one time he told a story that illustrated the core truth that this doctrine affirms. So this is the doctrine, the textbook version. But what we're going to see this morning is Jesus, the master teacher, giving us a picture of what this actually looks like. And as we've seen in the last few weeks, if you, you've been here at Fairview, you know we're going through a series on the stories that Jesus told, you know, the parables of Jesus. And, you know, when, when Peter asked, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Jesus could have just given an answer, but he also told the parable of the unmerciful servant, Right? We saw a couple of weeks ago that when someone asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Jesus could have just explained who his neighbor was, but he gave the parable of the Good Samaritan. Next week, we're going to look at the the parable of the father with two lost sons or the prodigal son story. And if you know from the context of that, uh, this took place, Jesus told this story after he was criticized for welcoming sinners to the table of fellowship. So Jesus is constantly telling stories that, that aim for the heart of his hearers. Because listen, Jesus doesn't just want you to know it up here. He wants you to get it. He wants it to, to, to drop down to your heart so that you really know what he's teaching. And so the terrible that we look at today, it's similar to the others that we mentioned. He tells a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. But before we get into the story, I want us to take a little bit of a closer look. Do you notice that one verse that's like a preface to the story? Notice verse 9. It says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Right there, there's already a description that gives us a really important truth. And I want you to see the connection. If I could sum it up, I'd sum it up this way. Trying to justify yourself leads you to look down on others. So who's the audience here? Jesus says, Luke says, Jesus is telling this parable to basically people who do two things. One, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous And two, they look down on everyone else. And what I want to do for just a moment before we get to the parable is to show you the connection between those two things, between those descriptions. They go together. Spiritual short-sightedness leads to a sense of spiritual superiority. When you trust in yourself that you are righteous, you look down on other people. And when you look down on other people you feel better about yourself. And on and on the cycle goes. So before we get into the parable, it's just important to see how these two elements, how they, how they reinforce each other. You know, I know we live in a time when people tell you, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. I mean, it's like a Home Depot type of society. You 
can do it, we can help, right? And a lot of people see religion that way, God that way. When it comes to spiritual life, you can do it, the church can help, or someone else can help, but basically it's a do-it-yourself spirituality. You follow your dreams, you chase your heart, you be true to yourself, you you do whatever it takes. We we live in this world that prizes the the self-made individual. Trust in yourself, believe in yourself, do it yourself. But when you apply that mindset to salvation, you dig your own spiritual grave. The idea that you can work your way up to God, trusting in your own power, trusting in your own efforts, that may seem really noble and, 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 and even praiseworthy in our culture today. But this idea, the Bible shows, if that's what you think, it, it's, a, it's a fundamental lack of self-awareness. The only way that you can think that you have what it takes to become righteous, that you have what it takes in order to please God with all of your obedience is if you have lowered God's standard to something that is either attainable or if you have overlooked all the sin that keeps you from making the cut. Now look at the second aspect of the description. So the people who trusted in themselves, they looked down on everyone else. So the crowd that Jesus was addressing, they have misplaced trust, right? They're they're trusting in the wrong thing. And then that leads to a warped sense of all the people around them. This, See, this lack of self-awareness about your own sin, that's what will lead you to a posture of self-righteousness. Once you take God and you lower him to a standard that is attainable, you no longer compare yourself to him you compare yourself to other people around you. And as long as you feel like you're doing good when you compare yourself to the people around you, well, then your sense of superiority grows, doesn't it? C.S. Lewis once wrote that we're we're constantly, Christians, Christians are often talking about sins that are committed in the body, which are obviously sins that the Bible talks about. But he says the, the worst sins are actually the spiritual ones. He says, all the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. The pleasure of putting other people in the wrong, of bossing, patronizing, and spoiling sport, and backbiting. The pleasures of power, of hatred. And then he says, a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. Now that's a tough pill to swallow, but it's true. And, and this text, just the situation that, that, that provides the context for Jesus' parable is enough to show us how self-righteousness and spiritual superiority go together. And I just wanted you to see how we get like this. How does this pattern become entrenched? And the way it happens is, basically, first you trust in yourself, so you begin to become self-righteous. That leads you to look down on others. And then second, when you look down on others, and once you notice their sins, well, you trust even more in yourself. That you are more righteous than they are. And then you look down even more on others, right? So do you see how this this gap begins to grow? And this cycle spins out of control until until we are blinded by self-righteous posturing. Here's the truth, though. Rightly understood, Christianity smashes the cycle, breaks the pattern. 
According to the gospel, we are to trust in God alone for our salvation. We trust not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's what we sing, right? The gospel just cuts to the heart of our tendency to trust in ourselves and in our own righteousness. And the gospel also, it takes that gap and it just shatters that sense of superiority that we may feel toward others. Here's what you need to realize. As long as you are looking up to God for salvation, you cannot look down on anyone else. You can't look up and down at the same time. Which means, if you are looking down your nose at someone else, then what this means is, once you know how much you need the mercy of God, once you're looking up to Him for salvation, how in the world could you look down your nose on someone else who also has the same need of mercy? Okay, now we've got to jump into the story itself. So, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. Okay, so we've already seen how self-righteousness grows in our hearts. We trust in ourselves. We look down on others. But now as we get into the story, I want us to see how self-righteous manifests itself. Because notice how pious this man is. So number two, if I were to say self-righteousness can be disguised by works of gratitude. Here's what you need to realize. Self-righteousness cloaks itself in piety. I mean, we're used, and I know, I know, because, you know, we've read this story. I'm sure you probably know this story. We're used to seeing the Pharisee in the worst possible light right? We already think of a Pharisee, we think of someone who's self-righteous, but that is not the way that Jesus' original listeners would have heard this. They would have heard a story about a Pharisee, and they would have thought, oh, good, decent chap, you know, upright, upstanding citizen, moral, trying to lead his family well, trying to follow the Lord, follow the law. They would have seen the Pharisee as a model citizen, And where do they see the Pharisee? Well, at first, he's going up to the temple to pray. Well, that's a good thing, right? He's seeking the Lord. He's, he's, this is a, you know, a guy who's, who's a prayerful man. And not only that, the Pharisee is grateful. He's thanking the Lord for the way that the Lord, for, for, for all the good things he has done, for the kind of person he's become. I mean, he's not even really taking credit for his own good deeds. He's saying, God, I thank you. That's what he's saying. So what's the problem here? Well, the self-righteousness that is seeping out from the man's actions and his words, it becomes evident when you look at the whole picture and when you really look at the prayer. First in the picture, he's standing in the temple, probably in front of others, probably set apart from others to be seen by them. And yes, he does express gratitude to God, but notice he's not thanking God for how awesome God is. He's not like, oh God, you are so awesome. You are so holy. You are so majestic. No, it's because he sees himself as set apart from others. He's got this attitude that says, I'm not like other people. I'm not like other people. Well, how do we know that? Well, because the Pharisee mentions these sinners, the the greedy, the unrighteous, adulterers. And then he mentions the tax collector that is in the same temple complex with him. And he's like even like this poor tax collector. Thank you that I'm not like that, Lord. 
See, the Pharisee may not be self-aware, but he sure is aware of the people around him. He isn't truly looking up to God in prayer because he's looking down on the people next to him. If he were truly aware of the majesty of God, he would see himself on the same level as the tax collector, a lowly sinner in need of mercy. If you really are standing before the mountain of God, God's majesty, how can you as one ant be proud that you're a little bit taller than another ant? you really get a vision of the mountain of God's majesty, these are two ants in the temple. And yet he's like, thank you, Lord, that I'm taller. Thank you, Lord, that I'm better. And he mentions his fasting practices, his tithing, which is all good, by the way. Fasting is wonderful. Jesus expected it. Tithing is wonderful. That's one of the ways that we move our heart to be in line with our treasure. But notice the repetition of I throughout the prayer. How many times he says I The Pharisee may be praying to God, but he is praying about himself. Now, here's something to consider, though. If someone had accused the Pharisee of being self-righteous in that moment, how do you think he would have responded? If someone had said, smells like self-righteousness in here, what would he have said? I think he would have denied it. I don't think he would have recognized the attitude in himself. And I say that because I just want us all to feel a little bit of just how easy it is for us to be self-deceived. Every one of us in here should wonder, okay, what are some ways that we can be self-righteous and not even know it? Not even see it in ourselves. Because remember, self-righteousness wears many disguises. And the scary thing about self-righteousness is that often we don't recognize it in ourselves. We think because of our religious practices, we must be okay with God. We think because we pray, well, that means we're trusting him, not at ourselves. We think because of how we read the Bible, that we're seeking him, or because of how we live, that we must be doing better than the people around us. See, self-righteousness stinks, and unfortunately, we are often the last people to smell it on ourselves. John Maxwell tells a funny story about a grandpa visiting his grandchildren. In the afternoon, grandpa would always take a nap. So the kids played a prank on him. They, they took some Limburger cheese. If you've ever smelled Limburger cheese, it's a pretty potent smell. And they kind of spread it under the grandpa's mustache while he's sleeping. And he wakes up from his nap and he says, boy, it stinks in here. What in the world? And he goes into the kitchen. He's like, it stinks in here too. Then finally he goes outside and he's like, what in the world? The whole world stinks. You know, self-righteousness is a little bit like that. The self-righteous person can sniff out the sins and the shortcomings of everyone around them. And they think everything, the whole world stinks except for them. But sometimes the stink is on you. And this story that Jesus tells about the Pharisee shows us just how easy it is to fall into this trap of self-justification. You know, we, we, we parade our works before God and before others, thinking that that's going to increase our stature. And then when we're called on it, instead of recognizing our self-righteous spirit, we just say, well, I mean, we start to justify ourselves. Well, I'm thankful to God for my good heart. I'm obviously religious. or I mean, can't you see that I'm trying? or that like, Can't you see I'm doing better than the people around me? I mean, do you want me to say that my religious observance doesn't matter? You know, 
But even when our self-righteousness is cloaked in words of gratitude or when it comes out in these actions that on the surface appear to be done out of a place that that would desire God's glory, self-righteousness, in the end, it's still self-justification. It's a misplaced trust that leads to misplaced judgment. President George W. Bush once said, we judge others by their actions, but ourselves by our intentions. We judge people around us way more harshly than we judge ourselves. So that's the Pharisee. But now let's look at the tax collector, verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. What do we learn from the tax collector? Well, it's just this. Humble pleading for mercy is the mark of divine grace. Notice the contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee stands in contrast to the tax collector who would not even come close. He's at a distance. The Pharisee was aware of all the people around him as he listed his achievements. The tax collector felt too lowly to even raise his eyes to heaven. The Pharisee repeats the word I, I, I again and again. That's contrasted to the tax collector repeatedly striking his chest. So over here, I am a righteous man deserving recognition. But over here, I am a sinner deserving judgment. Also, the fact that the tax collector beat his chest, that shows just how deep his remorse was. You see, in ancient times, it wasn't common for a man to strike his chest like that. Women would generally beat their chests at funerals and things like that to show their grief or their remorse. And it was, would have been seen as shameful for a man to be doing this in public. But the tax collector is blissfully unaware of how embarrassing it looks. He doesn't really care. He's really not worried about what other people think or about how righteous he looks or how upstanding he looks. He's more concerned about how sinful he truly is. And then there's a difference in the prayers too. You know, the prayer of the tax collector is a prayer for God's judgment to pass over him. It's a prayer for atonement, for the mercy of God delivered through God's atoning sacrifice. The Pharisee focused on all of the things that he had done for God. The tax collector knows my only hope is what God will do for me. Martin Luther got it right when he said this. He said, it is certain that man must utterly despair of his own ability before he is prepared to receive the grace of Christ. See, the tax collector's cry was that God would turn away his wrath from himself a sinner. And here's the good news for us. On this side of the cross, we know it's, this, the, it's through the sacrificial death of Jesus as our substitute that he bore the wrath that we deserved. And like the tax collector, we too can cry out to God to have mercy on us and, and for, for God to turn away his judgment because Christ has taken it in our place. And that's why Jesus ends the parable by explaining the meaning. Verse 14, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So the tax collector goes home justified, not the Pharisee. And I just want you to understand how much this would have shocked the original listeners that heard this parable. Uh, I mean, you mean the religious guy, the upstanding guy, winds up 
he's the one who fails to receive salvation, and yet this tax collector gets declared righteous? Now, there are some social reasons for why people in Jesus' day would have resisted this story or this kind of application. Tax collectors were some of the most hated and despised people of the day. I mean, to be a tax collector basically meant you collaborated with the Roman government, you would cheat your own people out of money, you would pocket, pocket profits so that they would get rich at other, at, 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 so you'd get rich at other people's expense. I mean, this, the tax collector is like the traitor, okay? And for you to really understand just how shocking and scandalous this parable is, we need to think in our day of like, just people that everybody would see as sinful, like everybody would resist. Like think of, you know, like the, the, like a pedophile or a pimp who's like involved in sex trafficking women or something like that. Okay. I imagine if the story were told this way, if the, you have a Christian social worker over here who volunteers her time, and then you have a pimp or a pedophile over here. And the end of Jesus' story is like the pedophile goes home justified. The Christian social worker doesn't. Now, if that shocks you a little bit, well, then you're actually hearing the story that Jesus told. Because it's meant to shock you. It's about justification by faith alone. That it's not by works, but by grace that we are saved. And if we are no longer scandalized by this story, it's because we've lost sight of just how revolutionary the doctrine is. You know, back in the day when Larry King was on CNN every night, would do these interviews, and any time he'd get a pastor up there, he'd, he'd generally, it was interesting, he'd always press the pastor in a couple of controversial areas of Christian teaching, in a couple of places. And on one, he would press them on the issue of Jesus being the only way to God. You know, I mean, we live in a pluralistic society. Is the preacher really saying Jesus is the only way of salvation? Is he really saying that some nice, good, moral, decent person from another religion, if they don't believe in Jesus, is going to be condemned? You know, like that was the, the, the first area of controversy. But then the second issue sometimes Larry would press a preacher on or a pastor would be, what about, like, what about a murderer kills all these people, a serial killer, but on his deathbed trusts in Jesus? Are you saying the serial killer might be okay in the end? Like that, he would really press home that. And, and Larry just seemed scandalized Anytime the preacher said, Jesus is the only way to God, it doesn't matter how good you are, it matters that you're, a follow, that you're trusting in Jesus. And anytime they would say, it doesn't matter how bad you are, as long as you're trusting Jesus. Now, those two things seem to be unrelated, right? Those two situations, but they're actually connected. Because in both cases, it's not really God's judgment, it's God's grace that is scandalous. The idea that a good person would face judgment while a repentant murderer would receive God's eternal blessing. That just seems crazy to Larry King. And it is shocking, isn't it? But that is the scandalous beauty of grace. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, turn your wrath from me. God, my only hope is in you. And in the end, it's the Pharisee who protests the gift of grace. It's the repentant sinner who basks in this gift of love and is then transformed by it. See, this parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, it gives us a vivid portrait of pride versus humility, of justification by works versus justification by faith. When I was a missionary student in Romania for several years, learning the language, 
one of the first words that I encountered was the word pokait. Loosely translated, it means repenter. Repenter. It was a derogatory label that evangelical Christians and Pentecostals and Baptists received from the wider culture. It was, they, they called us pokaitsi. Oh, you're the repenters. And what it was, was basically it was a derogatory label. But as a Baptist, I was one of the repenters. What separated us from cultural Christianity, you know, just sort of a nominal Christianity, was that we insisted you've got to repent. All of life is a life of repentance, that you're going to live for God, that you're going to trust him and then live according to his word, that we're, we're calling people to repent from their sins, trust in Jesus Christ, repent of their self-justification, be justified by Jesus, and devote themselves entirely to Christ. That was the, the mission. And so, brothers and sisters, here at Fairview, We're not true Christians if we're not repenters. I don't care how Baptist you are. If you're not a repenter, marked more by the tax collector than the Pharisee, then you're not a believer. Only the repentant heart has the mark of salvation. Self-righteousness gives off a stench. Repentance and humility give us a fragrance. And my prayer is that at Fairview, this will be a church that is marked by grace, a church that scandalizes the Pharisee and welcomes in the tax collector. That's why the invitation this morning is for two types of people. You may be here and you see yourself as more the tax collector. You, you, You may be irreligious. You may have been running from God. You may be thinking about your life thinking, there's no way God could love me. There's no way that God could forgive me. Listen, don't look around at anyone else this morning. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Look at yourself before God and then fall on his mercy and grace. Because I am telling you, you, just like the tax collector, you could go home forgiven, justified today. There may be others in here, you've felt the pinch of this message because you're religious, you're a churchgoer, you're here this morning and you realize I've been infected by self-righteousness. Listen, all of us at some level are infected by self-righteousness and it leads to bitterness and pride. And you realize, and the Lord is telling you this morning, I have been looking down on others. I need to look back up to God. Listen, the same God who showed himself to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ is here ready to stand and receive both the tax collector and the repentant Pharisee. If you've been a Pharisee, the table is open to you too for you to come to the table of Jesus' fellowship, but only through trusting in him, trusting in Jesus alone and not yourself. Thank you for listening to the Fairview Church Podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit us online at www.myfairview.org.